Well, good morning and uh, happy Father's Day to you. And, and we really want to say that if you are a dad and you've chosen to make us a part of your Father's Day, we really do feel honored. We really do feel valued that you would take some time and be a part of our Father's Day celebration in which we just really want to honor you. We want to celebrate you. Uh, we want to thank dads for the incredible job you do in providing for your family and loving your kids. And today we are beginning a new message series called Live Like Jesus. And honestly, I'm so pumped up about it. I don't know of a better series, a better phrase to say to fathers this morning in the world than the words, live like Jesus before your kids. Live like Jesus before your kids. And, and I'm pumped up about this series because, you know, Jesus Christ has so transformed my life. I've learned so much. And, um, and I just pray this morning, I think with the fog machine still running, guys, just as long as you're aware of that, um, everyone else is happy. I can still see you a little bit, um, but it, I hear something. Maybe that's not it. Anyways, um, I like burnouts, but I don't necessarily like it in church. Okay, yes, I love a good burnout. Um, now, where are we? We're talking about uh, the importance of us. In order to learn, we've got to open our minds. And opening our mind, it's kind of like a parachute. It doesn't work unless you open it. And so I really want to challenge you this morning to kind of open your minds. Open your minds to the reality of who Jesus is and the influence he's had upon this word, world. Now, if you would, you got that message outline there? There's some strange paired words there. I like to look at those words. What do you think of when you see these words paired together? What do you think of when you see the words faith and Business. Jesus and parenting. Personal life and professional life. Servant and leader. Some of us feel very uncomfortable when we see those words together. We need to keep the, you know, the sacred away from the secular. We need to keep our spiritual lives from our professional lives. God and business doesn't go together. Have you heard that mantra? That was the mantra that a guy by the name of Ken Blanchard, Dr. Ken Blanchard, believed for 47 years. God and business doesn't go together. Now, I've had the opportunity to personally get to know Ken and Margie Blanchard. Brilliant, gifted fascinating human beings. Ken has authored more than 35 books on leadership and management, most notably The One Minute Manager. How many of you have read that book? You've seen that book? Look at everyone's hands. Amazing. I think there's over 13 million copies in print. And Ken began his life, you know, separating his faith from, from what he taught, what he practiced. He was a sociologist, and then, at 47 years of age, for the first time, he began to read his Bible. And he was amazed what he saw. You see, he was a sociologist. He was a behavioral scientist. And so, when he began to read his Bible, he first went to the books about Jesus. We call those the Gospels. It's the good news about Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. And he began reading about Jesus. And let me just share you his words. He says, as I studied those books, I became fascinated with how Jesus transformed 12 ordinary, unlikely people into the first generation of leaders of a movement 
that continues to affect the course of world history some 2,000 years later, I soon became aware that everything I have taught or written about effective leadership during the past 35 years, Jesus did to perfection beyond my ability to portray or describe. And Jesus radically changed Ken Blanchard's life. And if you just stop and think about it, has there ever been a more influential leader than Jesus Christ? Has there ever been a more profound leader in the history of the world? I mean, today the church he started is larger than any business. It's larger than Google. It's larger larger than any organization. It's larger than any institution. It's larger than any country. There are more Christians in this world today than there are Chinese in China. And I think a poem, a poem called by, it's called One Solitary Life, kind of puts this in, in perspective. It concludes with these words. It says, all of the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed and all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as much as one solitary life, the life of Jesus Christ. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to begin to study the life of Jesus and hopefully learn how he lives so we can become more like Jesus. Now, I'd like to begin this morning with with two questions, kind of like to lay the foundation for this series with two questions. The first question is this, are you a leader? Are you a leader? And write yes or no next to that question there. Now, before you answer that question, make sure... Make sure you don't confuse the act of leadership with the position of leadership. You might be tempted to think, you know, I'm not a leader because I don't have the title. I don't have an organizational position of leadership. I'm just a school teacher. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a president of a company or a manager of a department. People don't report to me. I'm not a leader. Well, probably the greatest leader in the life of Jesus Christ was his mother Mary and his father Joseph. They didn't have any organizational title or position except for being the parent of the Son of God. Now, Joseph was his earthly father. We know who his father was, just for clarity's sake there. And Mary, she she probably was a stay-at-home mom. Jesus was the oldest of four other siblings, four brothers, She was a mother of five boys and several girls. We don't know how many daughters. And Joseph was a carpenter. And Scripture is kind of silent, but it appeared that Joseph died sometime before Jesus started his public ministry. We know that when Jesus was 12, they dedicated him at the temple, and he kind of got lost, or at least they got lost. Somebody got lost, and, um, and Joseph was there. And we know that Jesus followed in his father's profession. He became a carpenter like Joseph was a carpenter. But then at about the age of 30, when Jesus began his public ministry, we don't hear about Joseph, so it's kind of safe to assume that he he wasn't there. But what we do know about Joseph and Mary is that they didn't have any fancy titles. They didn't have any position of leadership. But boy, did they have influence. So don't confuse organizational leadership, positional leadership, with the act of leadership. 
I would argue that if one acts like a leader, they are a leader, even if they don't have the title or the position. I mean, is a father praying with his child before bed at night a leader? What's the answer? Yes. Is a grandparent reading with his grandson or granddaughter a leader? Yes. Is a Marine going into combat, an infantry going to combat a leader? Yes. Is a smiling man on the host team at Palm Beach Community Church a leader? Yes. How about the man who kicks the copy machine at his office? Is he a leader? Yes. He's a bad leader, but he's a leader. He's influencing somebody. Are you attending your HOA, your homeowners association meeting? Are you a leader? What's the answer? Yes, that's a real leader. Anyone that signs up for an HOA, you know, that's a real leader. You see, anytime we make personal choices to influence another, we are leading them, even if we don't have a leadership title or a position. Jesus put it this way. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, he says, You... You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. You, you're a light. Don't hide your light. Don't hide it under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. Jesus said, You are salt, you are light. Now, in the ancient world, salt, salt was highly valued. The Greeks called salt divine. The Romans said that there's nothing more useful than sun and salt, and they were right. And you see the value of salt because of what it does. What does salt do? There's two primary things that salt does. In the ancient world, it was a preservative, that's right. It would preserve, it would influence its surroundings. It would keep things from what? from spoiling, from going bad. But the greatest quality of salt is it brings out the flavor of another. I love lots of garlic salt on my Three Forks steak. That's Father's Day for me, right? Because what does it do? It brings out the what? The flavor of the steak. That's what salt does. It brings out the flavor. Jesus is saying that we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to bring out the flavor. We're supposed to bring out the best in others. We're supposed to be a positive influence on our surrounding. And like Jesus, we're supposed to be salt. And then he says we're supposed to be light. He says in verse 14 that you are the light of the world. In John 9, 5, Jesus said this. But while I'm still here with you, while I'm still here in the world, I am the light of the world. But has anyone actually physically seen Jesus lately? I haven't seen him. He's not here. But we're here. And we're supposed to follow in his footsteps and be a light to the world, a light to our neighbors, a light to our friends, a light to our children a light to our co-workers. Now, what, what does a, a light or a flashlight, what does a light do? This is my light. I keep this light um, at my house next to my bed. You know, I don't own a gun, but this is what I own. And in the middle of the night, if I hear a noise, 
what do I do? That's right, I hand the light to my wife. <laughs> Put the covers on my head and say, all right, honey, go find the bad guy or that animal outside, you know. No, I take the flashlight and I turn on the light and the light does what? It what? It leads me. It guides me. It directs me where to go and where not to go. And to see that step, a light leads. Jesus says you are supposed to be, if you are a follower of his, you're supposed to be a light. You're supposed to live like a light. Lead, guide, directing. You are a leader. Ken Blanchard, his definition of leadership before he personally put his faith in Christ, he said this, leadership is a process of, what's the word? Influence. Anytime you seek to influence the thinking, the behavior, or development of people towards accomplishing a goal in their personal and professional lives, you are taking the role of a what? Leader. Leadership is influence. Jesus gave every single one of us in here that calls ourselves a follower of Christ the role, the responsibility, the position of a leader. Even if you don't have the title, we're to be salt, we're to be light. Now, if you still want to argue with me that you're not a leader, I'd like to ask you this question. If leadership is influence, and Ken Blanchard is probably one of the leading gurus of still today, of leadership and leadership development, and everyone today refers to leadership as influence. So if leadership is influence, who's had the greatest influence on your life? Who physically has had the greatest influence on your life? Who's had the greatest influence on my life? Hands down, without a doubt, it's been my father. Hands down, without a doubt, it's been my mother. Distant, distant, distant third was a high school basketball coach I had, John Roncase. My father, my mother, God blessed me with godly parents that led me, that influenced me very, very well. Now, I doubt if any of you thought, hmm, you know, the one who's influenced me the most, it's the CEO of Pratt Whitney. It's the CEO of FPL, you know. Rarely is it going to be someone in organizational leadership. It's going to be someone whom we are in deep relationship with, someone who is like salt and light, someone who believes in us, someone who brings out the best in us, someone who has a positive influence on our life. And dads, don't you want to be that kind of leader in the lives of your sons and your daughters? Then live like Jesus lived, and you will. You are a leader whether you realize it or not, whether you have a title or position of leadership or not, we all have influence. And this truth that we are a leader, if you will see it and own it and embrace it and open your mind to it, it truly can be life transformational. When you realize and see that every day of your life, God wants to use you to lead, to influence others. So say it with me. I am a leader. Say it. I am a leader. Now the second question is this then. Well, what kind of a leader are you? All right, you're leading. I'm leading. But what kind of a leader are you? We're all affecting and effecting the people around us. How can we best influence others? Dads, how can you best influence your kids? 
Maybe they're even adults. How can you best influence them? Businessmen, how can you best influence your employees? How can you best influence your friends? Well, there was a certain woman by the name of Salome. She wanted her boys to be boys of influence, boys of power. And Salome, we find out, is a uh, sister of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. So Salome was actually an aunt to Jesus. And Salome, she had two boys, and their names were James and John. And they were part of the 12 disciples. They were part of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John of Jesus. And John was what was called the disciple that Jesus loved. And when mom uh, came to the place where she kind of wanted her boys to have greater influence, and so she kind of steps out and she approaches Jesus, apparently with James and John. So the three of them are coming to Jesus, and they ask him for a special favor. Now, this is towards the end of his, of his public ministry. This is really relatively soon before he is crucified and, and dies. And they come to him and they say this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 21. Salome is speaking, and she says, In your kingdom, Jesus, in your kingdom, please let my two sons, James and John, sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. After nearly three years of living and being with Jesus, James and John still saw leadership as a position to be held, as a title, as power to be grasped. They still didn't see it. They failed to comprehend that the best way to influence others is to live like Jesus. Jesus responds in verse 22. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. And the you here in the Greek, it's in the plural. It means you all. You, James and John, Salome, you don't know. And know here means to perceive. You just don't get it. They just didn't get it like many of us. We just don't get it. We think life and leadership and influence is all about power and position. But it's not. Jesus continues in verse 22 and he says, Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Now, a cup was a common metaphor that the, the Jewish culture used to refer to share. You, you share a cup with someone. It means you're sharing something, a cup of joy. You, you share joy with people around, a cup of suffering. You're talking about people who share in your pain and your problem. And Jesus here is talking about he knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected by his disciples. They abandon him. He's crucified. And he's talking about that kind of suffering, great sorrow. And he says, hey, guys, you're able to drink from that cup? I'm to drink. And James and John arrogantly replied, oh, yes, we're able. And James was the first of the 12 disciples to lose his life because of his faith in Christ. And John was the last to lose his life because of his faith in Christ. And I find it very interesting in the context here. It's found here in, in Matthew and Mark that Jesus doesn't rebuke them. But the other 10 disciples, they were furious. Look at verse 24. When the other 10, other disciples, heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were, that's uh, indignant. And how do you say that word? Yeah, that's it. In the Greek, it means they were mad as hell, you know. And they were probably mad because they didn't think of it first. You know, James and John beat them to the place. 
And so what happens here, Jesus kind of calls all the guys together. He says, time out, guys. And again, the context is so beautiful because he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't tell them they're idiots. He graciously reminds them. He guides them. He tells them what it looks like to live like Jesus. He says this in verse 25. You know that the rulers of this world, they lord it over their people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And, and you know what that's like. Maybe you had a father. Maybe you have a boss. Maybe you have a boss right now that reminds you every day that they're the boss, that they're in control. But look at verse 26. But among you it will be, what's the word? What's the word? Different. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your diakonos, must be your servant. Diakonos is the Greek word we get, our English word deacon. It means one who waits on tables. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be willing to wait on tables. Verse 27. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your doulos, your slave. A slave was someone who had no rights. The Apostle Paul was very fond of referring to himself as a doulos, as a slave of Jesus Christ. He gave up his rights to follow Christ and to live like Christ. You see, Jesus was calling his disciples and his followers to a complete reversal of popular opinion. To Jesus, we're all leaders. And the way we live, the way we lead, the way we live like Jesus is by being a servant. Now, we're going to dive in a lot deeper next week on what exactly that looks like. Because we all want to say, oh, yeah, I'm a servant. I have a servant heart. And we're going to look at our hearts next week. Very penetrating. And I hope you'll be here as we talk about the heart. And what's a heart? How do you know if you're a selfless or self-driven person? So that's, that's next week. But let me conclude with this. Living like Jesus is not only a wise thing to do. It's not only the right thing to do. But it works. For those of you that are here this morning and, and you're, you know, you're kind of skeptical, you're a pragmatic, a pragmatic, you know, it works. Maybe you've heard of Dr. Donald Clifton, uh, his New York Times, Wall Street national bestseller called How Full Is Your Bucket? Some of you have heard of that book, a phenomenal book, probably one of the best practical books, one of the best books I've ever read. Dr. Clifton is an educational psychologist, and he spent his life studying what people do right. Most psychologists and most trained professionals, they're often, often studying what people do wrong, what's wrong with people. He studied what's right with people, what do people do right, and how our lives are shaped by our interaction with others. And he discovered, Dr. Clifton, what he calls the mystery of the dipper and the bucket. He says in each one of us, we have a bucket. And when our, our bucket, our life, when our bucket is full, we feel full. We love our life. It's rich and meaningful. But Dr. Clifton says when our, our, our bucket is empty... We feel empty, and we live kind of an empty life. 
So the question is then, how do we fill up our bucket? He goes on and says, every single day of our life, we are filling our bucket, we're depleting our bucket, depending upon choices we make. So how do we fill our bucket? He says, well, you got a bucket in your life, and you got a, a dipper. And he says, if you live your life, and you live your life, and you go around, and you are serving others, you are giving to others, you are helping others, he says, it's amazing. But what we have found in all our research, people that do that, their bucket is full. It's like supernatural. And I'm reading and said, yeah, that's God. You know, he comes along and he just fills our life up. But he says, those people, when they live their life and they're self-serving, they live their life and they're always taking from others to fill their bucket up. They're always grabbing, using thinking of themselves, their needs, my wants, my happiness. When they're constantly doing this, he says, guess what? Their bucket's empty. And they live a, an empty life because they're not living like a servant. Jesus put it this way. In Acts chapter 20, Jesus said, it's more, let's read it together, can we? It's more blessed to give than to receive. When we live like Jesus, when we give and serve, God fills up our bucket. God supernaturally fills up our heart. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And what Dr. Clifton found is that people who are self-serving, people who are dipping into other people's lives to help meet their needs all the time, they're very negative people and they're taking from others and those people are very unhappy people. Let me quickly share some of the, the findings. Dr. Clifton, who joined and now is known as the uh, Gallup organization, this is what they have found. Number one reason why people leave their jobs. You know what that is? What do you think it is? It's not up there yet, right? Okay, it's there. What's the number one reason? They don't feel appreciated. A bad, negative, critical boss could increase your risk of stroke by what? It's, it's up there. By what? 33%. You need to fire your boss. Just fire your boss. 65% of Americans receive no, get this, no recognition in the, in the workplace. None. Not even a thank you. 65%. And I find as I talk to people, that's true. Nine out of ten people say that they are more productive when they are around positive people. Most of us have kind of grown up in a culture where it's much easier to tell people what they did wrong rather than what they did right. We need to praise them. In the workplace, Dr. Clifton concluded that we need three compliments for every one criticism. Now, Dr. Clifford, he doesn't believe in this kind of Pollyanna thing. He realized in life and work, you've got to be honest. Great bosses are coaches. They're constantly critiquing, telling, but there always need to be three praises with one criticism. In the home, you need to have five praises for every one criticism. Now, here's some positive news. For those of you who are smokers, you usually don't get much positive news, do you? Well, smoking, as you're probably well aware, reduces your life by about five to six years if you're a guy, about seven years if you're a girl. But for those who live with a negative, in a negative critical environment, you lose 10 years of your life. So you might smoke, but at least you're positive, you know? I mean, 10 years of your life. So here's my advice to you. If you're, if you're living or if you're dating... If you're dating someone and they're a bucket dipper, you know, they're a taker, get a new boyfriend. 
Get a new girlfriend fast. Negativity kills. So here's, here's the big question this morning. What kind of person are you? What kind of a leader are you? Do you give compliments or do you take compliments? Do you serve others with your words or are you a taker with having a deflated, negative, displeasure, spirit? Here's the point of the message. If you will choose to live like Jesus, you will be salt and light and you will serve others with your words and with your deeds. Thank you. It's 11 o'clock. Okay. That dad is hungry. He set his clock to go off to let the preacher know when it's 11 o'clock so he can go eat out of those food trucks. They're not, they're not going nowhere till we get out there, okay? They're not going nowhere. Now, what in the world was I saying? Um, yeah, salt and light. I've been saying the whole message. Thanks, Steve. That's real, real helpful there. Um, here's the point. If you choose to live like Christ, you will be salt and light, and you will serve others with your words and deeds, and you will feel better. It's amazing the correlation. It's amazing the correlation that the Bible's taught. It's amazing the correlation that the experts today keep finding out what the Bible's always said. It's amazing with a, a brilliant guy like Ken Blanchard, and, and he comes to the Bible late in life and he begins to realize everything he's taught about leadership, he finds in Jesus. It's amazing if we will simply choose to live like Jesus. You'll be living out of a full bucket. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice of service. He gave his life. He gave his life as a payment for yours. Jesus just didn't talk about serving. He paid the ultimate price for our freedom. He died a death he didn't deserve to pay the consequences of our sins and of our choices. He died for me. He died for you. So here's my concluding question. Are you willing to follow Jesus as your leadership role model? Are you? In business and in life, are you willing to follow Jesus as your leadership role model? If you are, I want to ask you to reach in and grab that packet of salt. And I'd like you to ask you to do something this week. I'd like for you every day this week to carry this packet of salt with you. If you go to work and you got a desk, take it to work, set it on your desk. If you've got a job, you're in sales, you're in your car all the time, put it on your dashboard. You figure out where to put it to remind yourself throughout the week that I'm a leader. I'm a leader. And God wants to use my life today to bring out the best in others to bring out the flavor in others. Give your life to filling up other people's buckets and God will fill up yours. Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, can you pray right now? Can you say, God, 
to yourself, God, can you help me to take my eyes off myself? God, help me take my eyes off myself. Help me to follow the leadership role model of Jesus. Ask God right now, God, help me to live like Jesus. God, help me to serve others. Help me to serve. Help me be less concerned with dipping into other people's lives and trying to fill my bucket. Help me to be more concerned of pouring out of my life into others. God, help me to be a positive influence on everyone I come in contact with. Can you say, Jesus, help me to be salt. Help me to be light. You know, that starts with you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. He died to ransom you. And maybe this morning for the first time in your life, you just need to come to God and say, God, you know, I just want to come clean with you. I just want to acknowledge that, you know, I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've made bad choices, and, and I get it. I get it now that you love me, and you sent your son Jesus to save me and to save the world and to be an example for me to follow. I invite you to come into my life. Say, Jesus Christ, come into my life and to save me and help me to be an influence in the lives of others. Oh, Father, we are so grateful today that you gave us such an incredible example to Father. You've given dads such an incredible example to follow. You've given mothers. You've given every single one of us such an incredible example to follow. God, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to live like him. Help us to take our focus off being served and served. Help us to give and not take. And God, we're so thankful that when we choose to do that, you fill us up. And we live life out of a full bucket. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.